back. Hi. Hello. Welcome to Knock Knock I with Dr. Glockenflecken. If you came here looking for Knock Knock High, you're going to have to go back a couple days. All right. This is this is Knock Knock I. This is where I get to expound on all of my my incredible knowledge about eyeballs. Now, I'm giving myself a lot of credit there. But let's be honest, a board-certified ophthalmologist is going to know a lot about eyeballs. And that's 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 what I'm doing here. I I I love this. I'm I'm the more I do these knock knock eye episodes, like the more excited I'm getting about them because I just I don't get a lot of opportunities to do this to to try to to teach my wonderful followers about uh, eyeball related things, uh, probably things that will never help you in your life in any way whatsoever. But you're still going to learn about it. And I don't know, you could you could impress your friends and family. You can say, hey, can I tell you what I know about extraocular muscle entrapment? Uh, it's, you know, that's uh, it's something to put on, on, on a dating profile. You know, like, hey, listen, look at what I know about. I could tell you everything uh, there is to know about chemical injuries. If you want to be single, you should do that. I, I don't I don't think it's going to go over very, very well, but you could. That's I guess that's the point. Uh, so knock knock I, uh, where um, you know we 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 just it's this is a, a safe space for eyeball talk here. Um, so what we've been doing, this is the third episode. Uh, what we've been doing is going through all of the ophthalmology pants patients. Now, just briefly, once again, uh, a pants patient is a patient where um, you know based on what I hear about the patient from the uh, consulting doctor, so like a, a, an emergency physician or hospitalist or something, uh, based on what they tell me about a patient who, ha- who they're taking care of, based on what they tell me, I am putting on my pants and immediately coming in to see the patient. That is a pants patient. It is the true emergencies of emergencies in ophthalmology, of which there are very few. All right, so we're not going to be doing pants patients forever. I do have a few more, though. So... Uh, we're doing another pants patient today. Uh, we are, in fact, talking about extraocular muscle entrapment. Now, people may not think of this as a pants patient. Like, really? I was well. People are probably thinking, "What on earth is extraocular muscle entrapment?" We'll get to that. Uh, but uh, it's a sneaky one. It's something that uh, you may not realize is, uh, needs attention right away, immediately. Uh, but it it does. It does. It is something that will get me if there's concern for entrapment. I'm coming in. I'm coming. Maybe now is a good time, actually, before we get into this, just tell you a little bit about what call is like for a me, a private practice ophthalmologist. Everyone's a little bit different, um, but typically, if you operate at a hospital, now, not every ophthalmologist operates at a hospital, so if they're not on staff at the hospital, usually they don't even have to take call there. They may take call just to, to, for, to, to provide goodwill for the uh, the community they live in, which I think is a wonderful thing, because... There's a requirement uh, for a certain level of hospital uh, to have an ophthalmologist on call. I think that's that, that's a thing. Uh, so so it's it's something you you have to have certain specialties available to you. So um, hospitals will do different things with ophthalmology call. Either they'll just they'll 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 pay a practice like hey we'll give you a stipend of X amount if you'll take call for us, and. Uh, or sometimes it's, hey, we'll let you, uh, you know, do your surgeries here. We'll give you funding to do this, and we'll get, let you, you know, we'll refer, you know, all our patients will come to you and all that stuff. Uh, but if you do that, you have to take call for us. 
And so it's uh, it's usually a mutually beneficial experience to take call. In my practice, we cover a, a, a few different, uh, four different community hospitals. So they are lower level. They're like level two tr- center, level two trauma. They don't, all the major, they're not level one centers. So all the big, big trauma will go to the bigger hospitals that are more tertiary, quaternary care centers. Uh, and so ours are smaller hospitals, community hospitals. Um, and, uh, and, and so I... And my partners, uh, there's a lot of us, we split the call and we take a, about three to four weeks per year of call, uh, which is, uh, you know, it makes it to where I, I feel even embarrassed to like mention that right now because there's probably like, a, um, you know, like a, a vascular surgeon listening to this and, and, and being like, he better not complain about that. It's it, the last thing uh, I will go scorched earth on this internet comedian ophthalmology guy if he even tries to complain about three weeks of call per year. I'm not going to complain about it because I keeping things in perspective, I get it. It's it's very straightforward. It's very simple. And that part of that is because of how infrequent the call is. We have enough partners in our group that we can split it. Uh, you know, uh, and we don't have to be on call that often, but I do take a week of call at a time, but it also speaks to how wonderful the emergency physicians are that staff these community hospitals. You get this skewed view of community hospitals when you're in training, when you're at a big giant teaching hospital, the, 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 the palace, the, the ivory tower of medicine, where all the most uh, interesting and uh, and devastating and challenging and complicated patients come to you. So you get this skewed view that that what you're doing at a and this is like kind of like hidden curriculum stuff, right? Like you, you get you get this sense that oh, uh, what we do is like the hardest medicine and then everybody else out in the community, those are community hospitals. Those are outside hospitals. They're not as good at medicine as we are here in our ivory tower. And, uh, and it's, it's not something you, 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 you try to, you don't try to teach people, but there's, there's sometimes there's just this like sense of entitlement and, and superiority, I would say, uh, in some of these big academic centers. And it wasn't until I actually joined a practice where I was out in the community. I am now outside ophthalmologist. I am, I work for outside hospital. I go see patients there. I do surgery at outside hospital. That you realize that some of the best, most brilliant, most hardworking physicians and nurses and just medical professionals work at these outside hospitals. And sometimes it's even harder because they have fewer resources. They got to take care of things and, and they, but they have, they don't have as much money. They don't have much help. And so, uh, it's, it's just a totally different environment. And I have now just an incredible amount of respect for outside hospital, which is like a running joke in medicine. Um, and in particular, and the reason I'm talking about this is, is, is just how good these emergency physicians are at eye stuff. You know, I'm, I always joke about how like nobody knows anything about eyeballs and uh, compared to me, but again, no one really cares to know that much about eyeballs, but I will say some of the things that these, these community emergency physicians and hospitalists 
they, they can diagnose and they can take care of and they try to do everything they can on their own without having to involve like specialty help. It's really impressive. It, it honestly, it really is. And, um, and, and so I'm, I'm always even like slit lamp skills and being able to see the optic nerve, these things that, you know, you don't think about, uh, as like skills that non-ophthalmologists know how to do. I mean, I see it a lot. I see pretty good things happening. So, so that's the, the environment I'm practicing in, um, three to four weeks of call per year. And because those physicians are so good at what they do and being able to triage and understand what's an emergency and op- what's an ophthalmology emergency, what's not, um, I end up not having to come into the hospital very often. Uh, I get a lot of phone calls, but you know, I, I'm happy to get those, you know, emergency physician calls me at like eight o'clock at night. And, uh, you know, and we just, we talk about like, oh, it sounds like this. You know, have you done this? Have you done check the pressure? Have you checked the vision? They've done all that. Uh, this is what I think is going on. You know, we'll triage either. Yeah. I'll see the patient tomorrow. I'll see him in a few days. We'll call them or I'm coming in right now. So a lot of call as a specialist is just working well with, with the, the other doctors in your area, the other physicians in your area. And, uh, and, uh, part of that's also showing respect and recognizing the challenges that those other physicians have, because me, you know, I, when I get a call, when I get a page from emergency, I like, all I got to do is sit up in bed and like pause Netflix and, and answer the phone. Like this is a person who's probably managing like 20 patients or more. And, and they're taking time away from other patients to call me. And like, so it's, it's, it doesn't even, even if it's not a great consult is like, just remember what other people are going. This is not their only job just to call you. They're doing, uh, they're juggling a thousand different things. And so keep a little bit of perspective and help people when they call. I'll get off my soapbox now about I, I just, it irritates me when I hear about consultants being angry that they, they get paged because, you know, it's your freaking job. Just do it. <laughs> so anyway, that's my call. I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's fantastic that I don't have to do it very often. And, and, uh, but you know, every, every practice is different with how they construct call and everything. I just, I really like how we do it with ours. Uh, so that's called, let's get into the case. Let's get into extraocular muscle entrapment, something that I'm sure all of you are just dying to hear about. So our patient uh, is um, a, uh, we'll say, a, how about a 28-year-old man? So far, this is the third episode. You're going to get a sense for all these pants patients. Um, uh, did I introduce pants? Pa- I think I, did I talk about pants patients? We're, we're going through pants patients here, right? These are patients that, um, um, I don't even remember if I mentioned pants patients in this episode or not. If I didn't, I'm just going to say it again. <laughs> I can't remember what I did five minutes ago. Um, uh, again, these are patients that I, uh, have, uh, that are requiring me to put my pants on, come in to see the patient. They're the emergency. I think I did say that anyway. So you're going to find with these pants, patients, especially the traumas, because a lot of these pants patients are trauma related, um, you all are going to think I just hang around all day without pants on. And mostly that's not true. But anyway, they're mostly men. There's a theme here. Like the people that tend to do dumb things to their eyes and get themselves hurt, they're going to have 
they're they're gonna be the men. It's it's just it's a thing. All right. It's it's so, guys, take care of yourself, please. Like wear your safety glasses at all times. Anyway, so this is a patient. Let's say twenty seven year old. Uh, it's Christmas time. It's Christmas time. Uh, he got the um um uh, went out, found a tree, cut it down, and uh, now they're he, he he took the tree, he put it onto the the car, and then he was he decided to tie down the car. And the way he did it, this patient, is he uh, he he got some bungee cords. He got some bungee cords. Like, oh, this is bungee. I'll just strap it down. Well, one of the bungee cords uh, went loose. It wasn't attached uh, right. And it, 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 it came off and it snapped back over the tree and hit him right in the eye. And then he lost vision and uh, um, temporarily, but it came back a little bit. And then he went to the emergency room because obviously he's in a lot of pain. His vision's not right. So blunt force trauma to the eye. He was able to close his eye. He was, his eye was closed. He just hit right on the eyelid, right on the eyeball. So direct blunt force trauma to the eye came to the emergency room. This is what I'm hearing from the emergency physician. Uh, they get a CT scan and it looks like there might be extraocular muscle entrapment. All right. So what does that mean? So the eye is sits in the orbit. It's an enclosed space. All right. So it's got four walls and then an opening where the eye sits and you look out. All right. So it sits in this little cavity, like a, like a cave. It's like the orbit's like the cave of your face, <laughs> your face cave. The eye sits in your face cave. <laughs> and uh, if you get hit hard enough with a blunt object, could be a bungee cord, could be a baseball, could be a basketball. I've seen so many different blunt injuries from different things. Car accident, who knows? Airbag. The eye, the blunt force will push the eye back. And sometimes it pushes it into the orbit hard enough that it increases the pressure behind the eye because that's an enclosed space. That's the orbit. It increases the pressure back there so much so that it blows out one of the walls of the orbit or multiple walls. That's how you get an orbital fracture. So increased pressure on the eye, blunt trauma increases the pressure behind the eye because you're compressing the eye into the orbit, causes the orbital wall to blow out. The most common orbital wall that blows out is the orbital floor, the bottom. It's one of the weaker parts. The medial is also a, a common one. But what can happen is after the, the orbital wall blows out and you get this fracture, the eye, after the, it'll, after the blunt trauma, the eye will return to a normal position, right? Because it's just a quick trauma. It just pushes the eye back, and then the eye comes back to its normal position. The pressure is released, and what will happen is that orbital fracture can pop back up to where it was initially. So it, the orbital floor, it blows out. You get the fracture, and then that bone flap will just pop back up right where it was. And what it, what it can do, and the danger with that happening, is it can, it can trap one of the muscles around the eye, typically the inferior rectus, because that's the one, the, it's an eye muscle that controls your movement down and up, all right? And, uh, and so that, that fracture can catch the muscle in, in the fracture line. So like that muscle that controls the eye movement, it's stuck, all right? It can't, it, it's, 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 it's stuck in that fracture. And then you have trouble moving your eye around, but the danger is that you can lose blood flow to that muscle and it can become necrotic and not work well. 
and then you'll have some pretty major problems with moving your eye around. So that's what's called extraocular muscle entrapment. We mostly see this in young people, teens, 20s, 30s, 40s, because whenever young people get a fracture like that, the bones are still more pliable, and so it'll pop back up if it's a young person. If it's an older person, we'll say, you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, more like in the 70s and 80s, when that bone breaks, when that fracture occurs, it just hangs down. It doesn't pop back up. It's just open. We call it open fracture. It just sits there. There's this, and if you look on a CT scan, nice big gap right where that bone should be. Should be. So it opens up, but it doesn't pop back up, so it won't entrap the muscle. That's why it's almost unheard of to have an extraocular muscle entrapment in someone who's in their 70s. But we see it a lot, people in their 20s, because that bone will pop back up and grab that muscle. All right, so I get this call. I hear about the injury. The emergency department, they got their CT scan that shows possible entrapment. The reason I say possible is because it can look like that muscle is, is stuck in the fracture, but you don't know until you actually examine the patient. This is a clinical diagnosis, all right? You got to actually look and see what's going on with the patient. Here are the clinical signs of extraocular muscle entrapment. You have the patient look up. And if their muscle is, if that, if that inferior rectus is entrapped, that eye will not be able to look up. The other eye, it'll look up just fine. But that, that affected eye, it won't be able to get up, all right? And often the patient will be have a lot of nausea, maybe even vomiting, because whenever you're pulling, you can imagine the eye is trying to look up, but there's tension on that muscle because it's stuck in the fracture. So the patient tries to look up. Well, when you pull on an extraocular muscle, it causes nausea. The body doesn't like that. All right. And so that's a sign. Looking up, the eye can't go up. So you have one eye going way up and one eye not going up at all, and the patient's getting nauseous. That is a really high probability that you have an extraocular muscle that's entrapped. There's other things. There's a, there's a, a pulse phenomenon where they look up and then the, the heart rate drops. Those are maybe a little bit less, less likely. Um, but if I'm going in, so I'm like, okay, oof, I got to go in. I got to see this patient right away. Again, because if, I don't, if we don't release that entrapped muscle, it can become necrotic and die. And then the patient can have long-term double vision problems. All right, so we got to release that entrapped muscle. So I'll go in and I'll do, um, I'll do a, something that is somewhat horrifying uh, to, to people that have never seen it before. In fact, I have had a med student uh, uh, pass out uh, watching me do this. <laughs> just, just to give you a little preface here, um, I will do forced duction testing. So what that means is I numb up the eye real good, all right, and I take forceps onto the white part of the eye, and I manually move the eye in all the different directions. And I feel, I try to move it up, and I feel for a hard stop where I'm like, oh, I should be able to move the eye up, but I can't, but I can't. Forced duction, to, I'm forcing the eye in certain directions. Yes, the patient is awake, but it's painless because I'm, I'm, I'm numbed up the eye. So they can't feel me doing that. They can feel me moving the eye a little bit. It's very strange. It's probably a strange sensation. Uh, it, it scares people who are watching me do this, but trust me, it's a very common maneuver. Uh, and so, um, and if, if I get a hard stop, 
then that is when I establish, yes, this muscle is entrapped. Let's go to surgery. That is one, even more than an open globe injury, I'll take that one back ASAP because we don't want that muscle to, to die off. Now, when I say me, this is a little bit more specialized surgery. I, I, because this requires exposure, you have to expose the orbital floor and repair a fracture. And so I will uh, call in my oculoplastics colleague or send the patient to the tertiary care center that where they have plastics who can do this type of surgery right away. So you just got to basically pull the muscle out of that fracture. And then a lot of times you can repair the fracture at that point or go back later and repair the fracture, but you just got to get the muscle out there and then it pops out and all of a sudden the patient can move their eye again. So that's extraocular muscle entrapment. Uh, and, um, and, and, and so, and there you go. It's like looking up, how the patient look up, you'll see it. Oh man, it won't be, it won't be subtle. That eye will not move up. The patient will get all nauseous. And um, I've never done that surgery, but I imagine it's very satisfying to fix because you just take that muscle out. It's, it's, it works well again and everything. So, but you got to get on it pretty quick. Um, yeah, extracular muscle entrapment. All right, so here is your don't do that eyeball tip of the week. Don't do that eyeball tip of the week. Was the, the, other, the other tips we've had is uh, um, uh, uh, wear safety glasses. Uh, the other tip for uh, chemical burns was don't put things in your eye that weren't meant for the eye. And your don't do that eyeball tip of the week this week is don't buy bungee cords. Just no, nothing good happens with you can't do anything with a bungee cord that you can't do with a uh, with a with a, with a rope with anything that doesn't have elasticity that can come back and pop you in the face. Because guess what? We usually were looking at things that we're doing. So when you're using things like bungee cords, if it if it gets loose and it comes back at you, it's going to find your eye because you're looking at it. All right. Things find the eye, including bungee cords. I've seen I've seen devastating bungee cord injuries. So don't do that eyeball tip of the week. Use bungee cords. Do not use bungee cords, please. If you want to get me something uh, as a thank you gift, just throw out your bungee cords. All right. I, I, I don't know. Do something with them that doesn't involve stretching them out and potentially blinding yourself. Just don't do it. All right. Sometimes we have, uh, you know, as ophthalmologists, uh, we have unreasonable expectations of people. I don't think this is unreasonable. All right. Don't do it. Don't do the bungee cords. All right. Here's your ophthalmology fun fact. By the way, I'm pulling out my textbook for these. <laughs> Because there's a lot of things that I, I kind of forgot, you know. It's like, oh, yeah, I remember learning about that. All right, here's your ophthalmology fun fact of the week. Can you guess how many rods and how many cones you have? It's a lot. I bet a lot of people think that we have the same amount of rods and the same amount of cones. That's not true. We have 100 million rods. Now, let me just remind you what rods do, or if you don't know what rods do, there are photoreceptors, the rods are responsible for light and dark, kind of your, your, your kind of gross vision, like not the fine detail colors and, you know, like reading things on a page, but you're kind of like, you know, you're able to see shadows and lights and darkness. And, and so if you're, say you're in a really dark room, all right, and you see a light off into the distance, that's your, your rods are most functional in that moment. So they're able to pick up any 
little source of light from you, but you're not going to be able to, to read or watch TV or do a, you know, fine detail work, paint or things like that with your rods. It doesn't give you that, that fine detailed vision. So we have a hundred million rods in our eye, 100 million. That's a lot. We only have 5 million cones, five. So much, a lot more rods than we have cones, 5 million cones. Uh, and, and they are, what's interesting though, is that they're all mostly focused right in the center of the vision, which makes sense, right? Because in the center of your retina, called the macula, that's where you need to focus. That's where you need your highly high detail vision. You're at that 2015, just perfect vision. That's where all of your cones are. So right in the center of your retina, the important part of your retina, retina doctors are going to get mad at me for saying it because all of the retina is important, everyone, but there are parts of the retina that are more important than others. Uh, the, the center part, there's actually right in the middle, there's an equal number of rods and cones. When you get outside all the less important retina, much more rods, not as many cones. Right in the center, though, you got equal amount of rods and cones. allows you to get that, that good vision. They're both photoreceptors. There's a lot of them. Uh, but uh, anyway, that's the breakdown of rods and cones. <laughs> Aren't you glad you know that? Hope I hope you get to answer a Jeopardy question or something right just based on that. Uh, it's probably not going to end up on your board exam, uh, step one, step two. Um, it would if I if I wrote the questions, but I don't, and I never will. That is your ophthalmology fun fact of the week, rods and cones. What else can I tell you about rods and cones? <laughs> Rod discs are not attached to cell membrane discrete structures. They provide dark adaptive vision. See, there's so much more I could tell you that would turn everybody immediately off to this podcast. So I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to subject you to things I don't think are interesting. Um, it's probably enough of what I'm saying that you don't think is interesting. All right. And finally, we have our uh, Explain Like I'm Eight. All right. This is a segment where I have an eight-year-old uh, ask a question, and then I answer um, in words and in, in things, phrases that an eight-year-old would understand. This is an effort to just make medicine accessible to everybody, because and especially in ophthalmology, I use all kinds of of fancy terms and, and things that, you know, and I'm probably guilty of doing this during these episodes, but, uh, so this is a, a, a chance to talk about things, uh, in a way that everybody can understand, even an eight-year-old. All right. So, um, here it is. Here's our explain like I'm eight question of the week. What do your bones look like when you're a baby? Thank you for that question. <laughs> So here's the deal. I told my eight-year-old to just go and like write down a lot of human body-related questions, and I'll try to answer them. <laughs> so I love that. What do your bones look like when you're a baby? Um, so this is also my child taking me out of my comfort zone because I may have said like I may not have specified just eyeball-related, even though that's what I was thinking because I don't think in terms of other thing parts of the body. Um, so hence the question now about bones. There are no bones in the eye, by the way. So this is outside my area of expertise. Um, no bones we know of yet. Okay, what do your bones look like when you're a baby? I'm going to do my best here. Um, there's a lot of space between the bones. And they're also, I, I believe they're not like hard bones yet. Like, the, like the, the cortical part of the bone, the hard part of the bone, maybe it's not completely formed. I know they're like, they're bendy. Because you think of like green stick fractures, so like um, that's that's where you, the bone bends enough that you get a little break, but then it pops back up. Um, so I think I think the kid bones, like baby bones, are bendy. 
Fact check me on this, everyone. Do you have bendy bones as a child, as a baby? I think you do. But I do know because I've seen like x-rays of like like babies, baby bones, <laughs> baby bone x-rays. And there's a lot of space in between the bones, like in the hand and the wrist, because they have to grow, right? So it's uh, um, so bendy bones that have a lot of space for them to grow. That's That's what bones look like in a baby. Anybody else have any, um, any knowledge about baby bones? I'd be happy to uh, let us know. You can send me an email, uh, uh, knock, knock high at human dash content.com. Uh, I I'd be, I'd love to hear more about baby bones to help educate my eight year old and anybody else listening. Uh, so thank you for that question. Uh, that was explained like I'm eight and thank you all for listening. Uh, this is, um, I, I'm liking this. I'm enjoying the eye stuff. I hope you are too. Uh, if I'm happy to, uh, to, to address any other topics as we get through our pants patients, uh, we got a few more coming up and, and then we'll, we'll expand it out to like any, uh, there's no shortage of ophthalmology topics I could talk about. Maybe I'll throw in some non-ophthalmology topics as well and just see if I can struggle my way through it. But I hope you have all have a good day. Thanks again for listening. Again, this is Knock Knock I, a uh, subsidiary of Knock Knock High. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for watching the episode. You can find more on that playlist over there. If you prefer to listen or you just had your eyes dilated, you can binge full episodes wherever you get your podcasts or join the party over on Patreon where you get early access episodes, hang out with us, get lots of exclusive bonus content. Hope you subscribe, leave a comment below. Let us know what you think.